Good afternoon, you're listening to NITV Radio and my name is Sharka Pechova and it's my great pleasure to be your host today. Today is a very special day, so it's the 30th anniversary of the Mabo decision and also the last day of the National Reconciliation Week. Coming up in the show we will talk about reconciliation with University of Queensland's Professor Norm Sheehan. And of course we will also talk about the Mabo case. With NITV's The Point, we will have a quick look at the federal election. And last but not least, we will hear The Point's Matty Mills interview with the pop sensation The Kid Laroi, who came back to Sydney for the first time in two years. So a lot to look forward to. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directly outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Today marks the 30th anniversary since the Mabo case. The body of an indigenous woman has been found two days after a partial human leg was discovered on the Stuart Highway in the Northern Territory. And traditional owners in South Australia are calling on the new federal government to scrap plans for a nuclear waste dump on their lands. Today marks the 30th anniversary since the Mabo case. Mabo Day commemorates Torres Strait Islander Ediko Kimabo and his role in overturning the Terra Nullius Declaration, which claimed that Australia was once land belonging to no one. The ruling recognized that indigenous people had occupied Australia for tens of thousands of years before the British arrived in 1788. Robert Ticker was the Minister of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Affairs at the time. I remember the day vividly, being in the court and being struck by the absolute enormity of this decision that profoundly changed Australia and for the better in so many ways. Linda Burney is the Minister for Indigenous Australians in the newly elected federal Labour government. That ruling was incredibly significant. I think most people, I certainly remember where I was when it came over the radio. For the first time in law, uh, Terra Nullius was uh, debunked and that was crucial. The Mabo decision paved the way for the Native Title Act and the establishment of the Native Title Tribunal. In the three decades since the Mabo, the federal court has made 556 native title determinations and 148 claims are yet to be decided. 
The body of an indigenous woman has been found two days after a partial human leg was discovered on the Stuart Highway in the Northern Territory. A man and a woman are in custody over the matter. Detective Senior Sergeant Paul Morrissey of the Northern Territory Police says police believe the pair were involved in a hit-and-run incident. It will be alleged that the 23-year-old uh, male was the driver involved in the collision uh, impacting the victim. It will be further alleged that the 50-year-old female has assisted him in removing the uh, deceased to another location in an attempt to conceal the crime. The limp was spotted at Kulalinga, 30 kilometers south of Darwin. The body was found on Darwin's outskirts. The victim's identity has not yet been released. Northern Territory Police say 11 pedestrians, all of them indigenous, have now died in the territory over the last 18 months. Six of them are believed to have died in a hit-and-run incidence. Traditional owners in South Australia are calling on the new federal government to scrap plans for a nuclear waste dump on their lands. In December, the Barngarla Determination Aboriginal Corporation launched legal action in the federal court to block the dump plant on Napandi near Kimba. That challenge is due to resume in two weeks' time. But now, with the change of government, They've written to Prime Minister Antony Albanese, urging him to question the declaration made by the coalition. The sign has been a mark to store nuclear medical waste, currently spread across more than 100 facilities, including universities and hospital basements. More than 1,100 delegates from communities across the country have gathered on Queensland's Sunshine Coast for the annual IATSIS Summit. Experts, academics and native title holders are on Kabi Kabi country for the week-long conference. The program has a particular focus on a native title and land rights in the lead-up to the 30th anniversary of the Mabo decision today. On the eve of the Mabo anniversary, Judge Sir Francis Gerard Brennan has passed away. Ray Johnson has more. The man who was the lead judgment on the Mabo case, Justice Jared Brennan, has passed away on the eve of the 30th anniversary of the decision. Later to become Sir Jared Brennan, his lead judgment on the groundbreaking legal case recognised for the first time that Indigenous peoples had lived in Australia for thousands of years and their rights to the land had never been extinguished. Sir Gerard served on the High Court for 17 years and was Chief Justice of the Court from 1995 until his retirement in 1998. The federal government will hand down its submission to the Fair Work Commission later today, advocating for a rise to the minimum wage. Prime Minister Antony Albanese wrote to the Commission's president last week, seeking permission for a new government submission to the body, following Labour's election victory. The Prime Minister had made the cost of living a key issue during the election campaign, publicly advocating for a rise to the minimum wage, which currently sits at $20.33 per hour. Foreign Minister Penny Wong is heading to Tonga. It follows a trip to Samoa, where the foreign minister met with the country's prime minister. Senator Wong voiced her support of Samoa's decision to defer consideration of a regional security agreement with China. Samoan Prime Minister Fiamei Matuatfu 
says it's a misrepresentation that they had signed onto a proposal from the Chinese government. She says the signing that took place in the country last week were bilateral programs that started a number of years ago. And it was a formalizing uh, process, which is a normal process. It just seemed a bit abnormal because the Minister of Foreign Affairs was here and there was this particular proposal from the Chinese uh, that they were seeking regional agreement on. So our position was that uh, you cannot have regional agreement when the region hasn't met to discuss it. Communications could be limited during Penny Wong's visit to Tonga due to a ruptured undersea cable that was damaged during the explosion of an underwater volcano. Queen Elizabeth has been presented with a Commonwealth of Nations globe at a ceremony in the grounds of Windsor Castle as Jubilee celebrations get underway in London. She pressed the globe to trigger the start of beacon lighting across the UK. Thousands of beacons are expected to be lit across Britain as people celebrate the Queen's 70 years on the throne. Huge crowds have gathered in London with some camping overnight in hopes of seeing the 96-year-old monarch and to watch the trooping the Colour Military Parade, which has marked each sovereign's official birthday since 1760. These visitors say the celebrations are a welcome respite from the awfulness of the coronavirus pandemic. I think it's fantastic that we're able to do all this after so many horrible months of COVID. And it's so great to honour what the Queen has done for 70 years. I think it's amazing to have the opportunity again to be in the middle of many people and everything so peaceful. Into sports now. Iga Swiatek continued her march towards a second French Open title in three years when she demolished Russian Daria Kasatkina 6-2-6-1 to reach the final and extend her winning streak to a jaw-dropping 34. Swiatek, the 2020 champion, has not lost since February and has matched Serena Williams' winning run from 2013, having now lost only two sets in her last four tournaments. She will meet either American teenager Coco Gauff, the 18th seed, or Italy's Martina Trevisan in Saturday's showdown. Poland Sviatek again played with a ribbon in the colors of the Ukrainian flag pinned to her hat against the Russian opponent. And let's have a look at today's weather now. Broome is sunny with the tops of 30, Perth partly cloudy and 19, Adelaide showers and 15 degrees. Melbourne shower or 2 and 12, Hobart partly cloudy and 14 degrees, Albury Wodonga shower or 2 and 11 degrees, Canberra possible shower and 10, Threadboss no showers and minus 2, Sydney shower or 2 and 18, Brisbane shower or 2 and 22 degrees, Townsville today is partly cloudy with the tops of 27, Cairns partly cloudy as well and 28 degrees. Darwin sunny and 33, Alice Springs partly cloudy and 18, and Torres Strait Islands today are partly cloudy, chance of showers and 29 degrees.
You're listening to NITV Radio. Coming up in the show, we will talk to Professor Norm Xian from University of Queensland about reconciliation. Very inspiring interview. But first, it's time for some music. Here's Yolongo surf rock band King Stingray from the Northeast Ar- Arnhem Land and their song Hey Vanaka. And by the way, King Stingray is touring the country now. They are playing in Brisbane. So yeah, if you're around, go and check them out. King Stingray and Heiwanaka. Today marks the last day of the National Reconciliation Week. I spoke to Professor Nor Shiam from University of Queensland about the week, the celebrations, but also about reconciliation and what this year's theme Be Brave, Make Change means to him personally. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. The University of Queensland is organizing a rich program to celebrate the National Reconciliation Week. University of Queensland Honorary Professor Norm Sheehan is co-chair of UQ's Reconciliation Action Plan Oversight Committee and a member of UQ Education Advisory Council. Professor Sheehan is a verger man. He's currently developing papers on indigenous ontology as a relational design approach with the aims of assisting indigenous Australian communities to thrive in a continuously contested space and also to promote indigenous Australian knowledge as a basis for non-violenting environmental and social relations. And Professor Sheehan is joining us on NITV Radio. Hello, Professor, and welcome. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Oh, pretty well, very wet in Brisbane. <laughs> Before we dive into the events you are finalizing at, for the Reconciliation Week, can you please tell us more about your work? Well, I'm I'm essentially retired. I'm meant to be retired, but as they say, when you retire, you end up doing a lot of things. Um, I work with the university um, on an honorary basis as a professor, but I also am on a number of committees, including the, the Vice Chancellor's Reconciliation Oversight Committee. So, uh, yeah, it's busy, but it's really good work that's happening there. Mm-hmm. You're a co-chair of the university's Reconciliation Action Plan Oversight Committee. We will talk about the reconciliation and the events uh, later, but what else is the committee currently doing? Well, reconciliation uh, action plans, difficult things for Australian institutions to take on because essentially all Australian institutions, the colonial institutions, they have a colonial infrastructure and legacy that they have to deal with. So um, reconciliation action plans are challenging and the aim of them essentially is to change the ethical basis or conduct within uh, an organisation so that Aboriginal people and the past are recognised and truthfully recognised by the institutions. So it's a difficult thing for people to go through, but it's absolutely essential and, of course, nowhere near as difficult as Aboriginal people have had over the last couple of hundred years. 
Mm-hmm. Let's look now at the reconciliation, National Reconciliation Week and the events. So this year calendar is, is very busy. So what is happening? The main things, there's been a, a book sale, the um, alumnus book sale. Uh, there's an opening or launch of the reconciliation at the university is being conducted and opening address by uh, Professor Jackie Huggins, Auntie Professor Jackie Huggins, who's uh, a long-term colleague of mine. Um, years back, we worked together at UQ, and she's a person who's leading a lot of reconciliation in Australia, a wonderful thinker. Um, she's just relaunched her book, and she's doing teaching and speaking events all around the country. So um, wonderful to have her launch the Reconciliation Week in, in Queensland. One of the great things about what's happening here is uh, we, we have good leadership with uh, Professor Deborah Terry, who's conducted um, reconciliation action plans in other universities with success. And we're looking at this year becoming an extended reconciliation action plan which means building our plan out into the community and actually doing positive things with the community rather than for the community. In Brisbane, there's numerous community groups and community events happening in partnership with the university. So um, too many to list, but if you go online and look at the, look at the program, it's really amazing, an amazing program. Hmm, that kind of answers my second or my next question. Is it just for the students or can really anyone come? It's for everyone. We're trying to get buy-in across industry and uh, the social and community sector outside the university. Uh, a lot of universities operate like little bubbles. And one of the things the Reconciliation Action Plan actively promotes across the university is real and um, authentic connections with people so that uh, rather than being separate from community, the community is built in to the progress of the Reconciliation Action Plan and to events and opportunities in the university. Um, they, they, they range from, you know, uh, the the dance nights and celebration events to events like opening uh, collections, Aboriginal collections in the Jewish Library and other things that are more academically based, but quite amazing to go and see works of senior Aboriginal people that have been collected by the university. So full range of stuff that's um, interesting across the board. Hmm. And what are the responses from the students? Well, the students, um, I worked at uh, University of Queensland back uh, 25 years ago and we had, uh, we thought we were doing pretty well then. We had uh, a few PhD students. I completed my PhD back then at the university and these days we've got an astounding number of research and PhD students, Aboriginal PhD and research students and a huge enrolment of Aboriginal um, people in the university. So the diversity there is incredible. People from all over Australia, 
teachers and academics from all over the world and a really strong community. Mm. Well, that's great. And uh, this year's theme of the National Reconciliation Week is Be Brave, Make Change. What does that mean to you? It is actually quite a difficult thing to do to look at reconciliation. And I've worked in numerous organisations over the years on reconciliation action plans. And you do need courage to be part of it because um, general Australians really can live their whole lives without once encountering or thinking about issues related to Indigenous Australia. And I think that, you know, that, that safety is uh, a false safety. The other thing that I think is really important right now is that Indigenous knowledge is so vital for the future of everybody. And societies have progressed for hundreds of years without conceiving that it's possible to understand the environment, without thinking that it's important to understand it. And so coming to that understanding these days with climate change and other impacts requires a shift and everybody's got to make that shift. And Indigenous Australians, they lead the way in understanding environments. So we have that knowledge and bring that knowledge respectfully forward through universities is essential for our future. So I believe for everybody's future. So building Indigenous knowledge into a university is very, very difficult, takes courage. You have to face some very, very smart people who often really don't know how to react. And so they too have to have courage to sometimes realise that other views are essential for the future and that change is happening. It's a good thing to see. Hmm. That was actually my last question. If if you actually see this shift happening, if you see that the non-Indigenous population is interested more and more in Indigenous issues and views? Well, as always, it's patchy and it has to be patchy because everybody has different views. Everybody goes their own way. But what we learned from working in this space is that As long as people keep relationships healthy, then learning occurs. And I think that um, the, the potential for getting programs that cut across the differences in a way that's productive on both sides, I think that's a possibility now. So um, respecting Indigenous knowledge And also respecting that coming to understand the role of Indigenous knowledge um, requires a different approach. It requires people to listen and be authentically respectful and do things in a way that is not familiar to the culture of Western Europe in particular. Our colleagues from other places in the world, from Pacific or Maori or um, Asian or South American have a lot of familiarity with Indigenous knowledge, but our systems are Western European systems and they are not that flexible when it comes to understanding relationships and the importance of emotional and spiritual and cultural connections. So those things are often left out of mainstream history 
and we need them to be part of everyday living because that connects us together and connects us to environments. So I see the potential as being a huge thing, as I always have, from reconciliation. Sometimes it works really, really well. Sometimes it gets held up for a while. But the idea is we just keep grinding it through so that more and more people understand that um, the way we live together is vital for environments. Hmm. Well, thank you so much, Professor. It's, it was really inspiring talking to you. Thank you. That was University of Queensland Honorary Professor Norm Xian, who is a co-chair of UQ's Reconciliation Action Plan Oversight Committee. Thank you, Professor. Thank you. You're listening to NITV Radio. Coming up in the show, we will hear the election wrap-up from NITV's The Point program and also an interview with Senator Marion Scrimgeour. But now it's time for our second song today. Here's Tourist Dollar by Stephen Pigram. And this was Tourist Dollar by Stephen Pigram. Now, it's been nearly two weeks since the federal election and Australia's new diverse parliament has been formed. There will be 10 First Nations members in its ranks, six in the Labour Party, which has scored enough votes to form a majority government, meaning it won't have to rely on the Greens and independents to pass legislation in the lower house. Labour's new team met for the first time in Canberra earlier this week. The points Naralda Jacobs and John Paul Jenge have brought us a summary of the election. Australians have placed their trust in us and that brings with it an enormous responsibility. An enormous responsibility to deliver on the commitments that we made. The commitments for which we have a clear mandate as part of a majority Labor government. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, outlined his agenda, recommitting to action on climate change and the Uluru Statement from the Heart. We will show that we're an inclusive and mature country by recognising the privilege that we have of sharing this great island continent of ours, this great multicultural nation, with the oldest continuous civilization on the planet and recognising that in our constitution with an enshrined voice to parliament. The unsuccessful Liberal and National Party coalition has new faces leading it too. Peter Dutton and Susan Lee for the Liberals and David Littleproud defeated Barnaby Joyce for the top job in the Nationals. One of the new faces in parliament is Tiwi woman Marion Scrimjaw, who narrowly won the Northern Territory seat of Lingiari. And Ralda Jacobs and John Paul Jenke were joined by Marion Scramore on Tuesday's episode of The Point Programme. Oh, and she joins us now. Congratulations, Marion. Your first caucus meeting in Canberra. Uh, first of all, congratulations. How was it? Oh, look, it was it was fantastic to um, the the buzz and the environment and to hear the, the new Prime Minister speak of 
you know, that all of those faces in the room which reflected what Australia was all about. But the new way in, in which we will do government and that's, you know, to be more inclusive, a lot more gentler and to care and, and to see so many women um, in that room and, you know, being there with Linda Burney, who'll be the first... Uh, female Indigenous female Minister for Aboriginal Affairs is just fantastic. Marion, when you were Deputy uh, Chief Minister of the Northern Territory, you were the uh, first Aboriginal woman to hold the highest public office in this entire country. Uh, that was in 2007. Um, times have changed now. Does it feel different going, going to Canberra now? Oh, it certainly is. One, it's freezing cold <laughs> and it's certainly different. But, you know, you, you sort of feel... Um, someone once said to me, you know, Canberra, it's like being a small fish in a big pond and and, and you certainly feel that. Um, but, you know, I, I sort of look at my role. I have a very diverse, uh, you know, not just remote but regional electorate. There are many issues... Um, across, you know, the, the diversity of that electorate. And I'm going to make sure that their voices aren't lost in the noise of Canberra. And um, it, it's, it's certainly different from Northern Territory to Canberra. You know, I'm competing with a, a number of other members, but I'm sure that with Senator Mellandary McCarthy, who is also from the Northern Territory, and Luke Gosling, who was the other, um, you know, MP uh, for the seat of Solomon, that the three of us uh, all work together in the interest of, of you know, Territorians. Marion, during the campaign, we heard concerns about voter turnout and enrolment in some of the First Nations community. How much was an issue of this in your electorate? Oh, look, you only have to have a look at the results, and I think um, less than 70%. So that, that means that less than, you know, more than 30% of people across, and, and, and a lot of that uh, is our regional and remote communities. We have to do better. We have to look at why are Aboriginal people or people uh, through the Lingiari electorate disengaged from the, the electoral, you know, process. There were many people who came to the voting booths who said that they had voted in the last federal election, but their names were taken off the roll. So, you know, there's a there's a number of things I think that need to be looked at as part of an AEC review. Um, there was no First Nation uh, interpreters that could assist the, the AEC staff um, in terms of overcoming some of the language barriers. So there, there's a whole lot of things, I think, that have to be looked at uh, with any review or reform. Uh, certainly that needs to be taken into consideration. And I, I spoke to Senator Pat Dodson as well to, you know, with Western Australia and, and those areas across the Kimberley, but also Northern Queensland. Do we see, you know, similarities right across Northern Australia that we could have a look at? And we may see some of those issues down in the pitlands, but voter turnout, low voter turnout was certainly an issue. But the other big major issue which we still have to overcome is the number of informal votes. Uh, there was almost 7,000, or I think it's just a bit over 7,000 informal votes. That's way too many informal votes. Um, and we need to have a look at what had occurred there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's important that we, uh, you know, try and get as many people to vote in these elections as possible. Marion, thanks for joining us on The Point. Sadly, that's all we've got time for. Look forward to checking in throughout the year mm. on your progress in Coal Canberra. You're listening to NITV Radio. 30 years ago today, the High Court in Australia handed down its historic judgment, known as the Mabo Ruling. Ediko Mambo is remembered as the father of the native title. Stefani Corsetti reports for SBS News. I'm going to talk generally about the Torres Strait community in North Queensland. This is the voice of the late Eddie Koiki Mabo giving a guest lecture in race and culture to education students at James Cook University in 1982. Eddie Mabo was a civil rights campaigner, a prominent community leader for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the co-founder of one of the first Indigenous community schools in Australia. As he addressed that room of tertiary students at James Cook University in 1982, he also spoke about plans he and four others had to begin legal action to confirm their traditional rights as landowners on Mare or Murray Island. While working as a gardener at the university, Eddie Mabo had a conversation with some historians about how he hoped to live out his days on Murray Island, and he was shocked when they told him the land belonged to the Crown, not his family. Gail Mabo is Eddie Mabo's daughter. My dad was quite angry at this point because he, for him, the whole notion of owning land was the fact that it was handed down by gen- from generation to generation. And then for him to ha- have no right to that land, well, that's where he got that fire in his belly to actually go, you know what, I'm going to fight this because this is not right. And we have a right to our land and to be be able to hand it down to our children. Eddie Mabo instructed solicitor Greg McIntyre to act for him in the case. Eddie always knew that it was going to be significant, it was particularly significant for Murray Islanders, uh, Torres Strait Islanders more generally, uh, and we were of the view that it may well impact on the the mainland. It was a 10-year battle which ended when the High Court handed down its ruling on June 3, 1992, in what's now often referred to as the Mabo ruling. It acknowledged the traditional rights of Indigenous people to their land and waters. It overturned the legal doctrine of terra nullius, which had falsely asserted that prior to colonisation, Australia was a land belonging to no one. The ruling recognised that Indigenous people had occupied Australia for tens of thousands of years before the British arrived in 1788. Robert Tickner was the Minister for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Affairs at the time. I remember the day vividly, being in the court and being struck by the absolute enormity of this decision that profoundly changed Australia and for the better in so many ways. Linda Burney is the Minister for Indigenous Australians in the newly elected Federal Labor Government. That ruling was incredibly significant. I think most people, I certainly remember where I was when it came over the radio. For the first time in law, uh, Terra Nullius was uh, debunked and that was crucial. The Mabo decision paved the way for the Native Title Act and the establishment of the Native Title Tribunal. 
In the three decades since Mabo, the Federal Court has made 556 native title determinations, 148 claims are yet to be decided. Sadly, Eddie Mabo died five months before the historic decision was handed down. He was just 56. His lawyer and friend, Greg McIntyre, says he's proud of their legacy. The United States, Canada and New Zealand uh, had all recognised a similar form of title. Uh, and we were in Australia, we were a bit late coming to the party. But I'm glad we did. Uh, we'd, it's now 30 years. Uh, and I think we need to get on and improve on that result. Indigenous barrister and wordy man Tony McAvoy SC believes truth-telling and treaties are now important to heal the wounds of the past. Room needs to be made for Aboriginal people to participate in the democratic processes and to, to, to exercise self-determination and, and be self-governing. Eddie Mabo's daughter says Australia has been taking small steps towards healing over the last 30 years, but momentum is building for greater change in Australia. But now it's time to, to, to just lengthen our stride, to make things move and, you know, to, to take those things that are given to us now and sit down and have a conversation, a better conversation, and sharing that knowledge to actually move us forward as a nation. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. At just 18 years of age, the Kid Laroi is one of the biggest music acts in the world right now. It has been a great rise for the younger Melaroi man. He, uh, he has come a long, <clears throat> a long way from his roots in the inner city suburbs of Sydney to an awarded musician who has collaborated with Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus. After two years away, he's back for his first Australian tour, which kicked off with a sold-out performance in Sydney. NITV The Point's Matty Mills sat down with the Grammy-nominated artist to discuss music, relationships and the Kid Larry's homecoming. Well, firstly, welcome home. Thank you. The last time we spoke, you were doing your first ever red carpet appearance. Yeah, at the Arias. 2018 at the Aria Awards. Look, I'm going to pull up an oldie but a goodie. It's you at the age of, I think, 16, and I on the red carpet at the Aria Awards. That's so funny. Look, since that moment, you've obviously shot to superstardom. How does it feel to look back and see how much you've already achieved? It's crazy. I try not to think about this stuff too much. I try to, you know, keep it pushing and always keep thinking about the next thing. But I think I think being home has been uh, one of those reminders for me that coming back to where I'm from and how different it is for me now, I think it's just, yeah, it's a, it's mind-blowing. I'm, I'm beyond grateful though and blessed and yeah just stoked honestly stoked stoked one of the first things you did when you got home was go back to your community of waterloo yeah and you made an incredible donation of a hundred thousand dollars to a local youth center why was that so important the importance of the factory youth service for me growing up there was 
I mean, it impacted me a lot. You know, it helped shape who I am today, and it was one of those things that helped me and, and loads of other kids in the community, I think, like grow, um, not only as people, but creatively. Always kept, kept us out of trouble. And I think, you know, it's funny, I wonder, like, sometimes, like, without that, who knows, you know? Like, who knows where I would have been. When I heard that, um, you know, they were thinking about cutting funding or something like that and trying to shut them down, I was like, absolutely not, you know, because I think it's such an important thing for, for kids to be able to have that, you know, and, and get excited for that type of stuff the same way that I did, so. It's such an incredible thing to do. Look, you haven't even released your debut album yet, but you're selling out arenas across the globe. How does it feel as an artist to take the songwriting process and that intimate process and then go out and own a stage in front of thousands of people it's it's tough i don't know you know this is like this is the first show of my first tour so it's like uh, it's definitely yeah again surreal and just like i don't know i'm still learning at all you know one day at a time i just you know i'm freshly 18 and just yeah trying to navigate it all myself it's my first time for a lot of this stuff so i mean yeah it's uh i'm, I'm excited though man i'm excited to be out there with the people and see all the fans and stuff like that so your new song, A Thousand Miles Away, yeah. is about the moment you met your girlfriend. It is. The first moment the first you met moment. your girlfriend. Yeah, it is. And it's like that um, that thing of, you know, when I first met, I was just moved to America and trying to become like a full-time artist. I met her and I really liked her and I was like, I felt, you know, really different about anyone I'd ever met before. And but it was that kind of battle between myself of like, damn, I like... I, you know, maybe I'm not ready for this yet. But then, uh, so yeah, that's what I kind of wrote the song about. We've been together for like two years, so it worked out. It, really <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> it was all good, yeah, it worked out just fine. <laughs> and you've brought her on tour with you. How important is it for you to have your family and, you know, your, your partner, your girlfriend um, here with you? Yeah, I mean, it's really important. I mean, it's important for her to see where I'm from and see, you know, my friends and people I grew up with and my family and stuff like that. I think that was important. I brought it up to Waterloo with me the other day. I think it was cool for her to put, you know, faces to names and places to stories. So it was a really dope moment for me, and I think it better helps her understand me and where I'm from and the reason I am where I am and the reason I do what I do. So, yeah. And just lastly, what is your message for other young people who might have a, you know, a big dream? One of my biggest things doing this whole thing and trying to get to where I'm at was to just show people, you know, no matter who you are, where you're from, you can, you can do it, you know. And I think the biggest thing is just don't be scared to, to chase it. I mean, for so, so long, I was so scared to even tell anybody I rapped or anything like that, you know. And then the moment I did, it's like... You know, everything, and the moment I started working hard and working towards something and having goals, and, you know, that that helped me a lot. And, you know, the thing is, is that I wouldn't, I wouldn't let stuff like friends or what friends think or what other people think get to your head because at the end of the day, you're the one who has to see the vision first before anyone else does it. If you don't see it, then no one else is going to see it. So that's that's one thing I would say that I like. You know, like, don't, uh, don't worry about what people are saying. Just head down and keep moving. Well, congratulations on all your success. Thank you It has been much. so incredible to see. From the mob to you, brother, well done and big love. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. That was Anaya TV's The Points Matty Mills talking to the kid Laroy. You can watch the full episode on SBS On Demand. 
And the Kid Laroi is bringing us to the end of the show today. And here's his new release, Thousand Miles. You are listening to NITV Radio and my name is Sharka Pechová. Have a great weekend and we will be back on Monday. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. 